Listener supported. WNYC Studios. This is All of It on WNYC. I'm Allison Stewart. A new off-Broadway musical takes us back to the 1990s New York City in the hallowed halls of a prestigious magazine called The Connector. Think The New Yorker meets The Atlantic. A young, enthusiastic, and maybe a tad too ambitious Ivy League grad named Ethan charms the editor-in-chief and waltzes past his colleagues to some plum assignments and drink invitations with the EIC. It seems that Ethan has the golden touch and his articles sell magazines something the Connector's new corporate overlords love. Ethan's ability to find extraordinary subjects is amazing. Too amazing. Some people, women mostly, aren't buying what Ethan is selling. The longtime fact-checker Muriel, the copy editor Robin, who he leapfrogs at work, and an eagle-eyed reader named Mona Bland. They know Ethan's stories, and stories about his stories don't add up. Now playing at the MCC Theater through March 17th, the musical The Connector has shades of the true story of Stephen Glass, who fabricated all or some of 27 of 41 articles he wrote for the New Republic. He's not the only journalist who have done this. The show explores who gets to make and break the rules and asks us to consider the difference between truth and fact and if there should be a difference. The score was written by my guest, Jason Robert Brown, who is working once again with my other guest, director Daisy Prince. They met at a piano bar a long time ago and have since worked together on on Songs for a New World in the last five years. Welcome, Jason and Daisy. Thank you. Happy to be here. Also with us is actor Ben Levi Ross, who is playing the boyishly charming yet unctuous fabulous Ethan Dobson. Welcome, Ben. Hi, thank you for having us. So, (laughs) Jason, what happened at that piano bar? Uh, What happened at the piano bar is I was very, very young uh, and unctuous. uh, And I... um, (laughs) I was uh, I was showing off at piano bars uh, all over town whenever I could. I was I, in my very early twenties and wanted to make a name for myself in the city. So I figured just go to the places where I can do the one thing I know how to do, which is to play piano and sing songs. And Daisy uh, happened to be at that piano bar on one of those nights, and uh, somebody said I should sing one of my songs for Daisy, and the song that I chose to sing in what was either a brilliant decision or an absolutely lunatic decision, or actually probably both, uh, was a song I had written called The Flag Maker, which is a sort of weird historical interpretation of Betsy Ross sewing the flag in the middle of the Revolutionary War. Uh, This was, mind you, 30 years before Hamilton. Uh, And so I wrote that, uh, and as Daisy said, it, uh, it had a magnificent effect of clearing the entire room but also uh, drawing Daisy to me because it was the kind of work that she thought that's that's what I want to work with. Daisy, how did you know that Jason was someone you'd like to work with? Um, I guess I sort of have uh, in some way some faith in my own taste. Um, and um, and by the way, it's not hard when you listen to Jason's songs, even though they were written when he was really young, mm-hmm. um, I take no credit for being brilliant and discovering anybody because anybody with half a brain could listen to it and think it was extraordinary. So um, it really was me being in the right place at the same time, at the right time Mm -hmm. and at the same time. And um, I just, uh, everything happened sort of starting from there. And then I heard everything else, everything else that he had written. Um, And uh, we started working together. So Ben, Jason, Daisy, and I can remember the nineties. You can't. Mm. Um, 
<laughs> no. So uh, what's something in you found in your research or learned in your research about magazines, about the 90s that really helped you understand, Ethan? God, um, I, you know, I, I, well, I was born in 1998. So um, there, uh, uh, there is some footage um, from my childhood that, uh, well, this show ends in 97. So actually, that's not true. <laughs> um, but uh, it's a know, nice I, try, though, Ben. <laughs> yeah. I mean, There's footage I, of my parents, is what you meant to say. Well, I was in the background, as <laughs> um, you, you know. I think the the thing that I've learned from listening to Jason and Daisy and uh, Jonathan Mark Sherman, our our book writer, um, about why they picked uh, the the '90s to set this musical is that this was a, a really specific time before um, uh, things sort of tumbled into the technological age, um, but things were still being um introduced like there's mm -hmm. a line that um conrad o'brien the editor-in-chief of our of of the connector played by scott bacula says or he's uh like you know our new owners want us to uh, start a website but i have no idea what that is mm -hmm. and ethan is you know trying to describe to him what a search engine is for the world wide web and so it's it's a very specific uh, time in uh, our history that i think we're going to look back on um uh in in uh, just you know it's just a really interesting place uh, a time to place the story mm -hmm. about um truth and facts and so um uh yeah that that's that's sort of i mean i don't know if that answered your question but yeah all good daisy so you had the idea for this pre pre trump presidency this you, i think your first reading maybe even was in 2016 so how has the show had to change in tone and some of the ideas have they had to change at all? And if so, how? Oops. Oh, you're muted. You're muted, my dear. Oh, dear. Um, the first time I thought of doing this was actually a long time ago, almost 20 years ago. Um, and... Um, and how has it had to change? Well, it has evolved a little bit because we've been able to expand on some of the original ideas. Mm -hmm. um, a lot about sort of uh, women's place uh, in the workforce, um, about how uh, sort of about, about sort of how all of that ended up spinning. I sort of thought erroneously that uh, the minute the internet exploded, there would be sort of no need for this kind of debate because you'd be able to have easy access to the facts at your fingertips. Mm -hmm. And therefore, you would get, it would be very easy to discern what was true and what was not true. Hello, what was I thinking? So, um, yeah. So, I mean, a lot of the story hasn't changed. What's mm. really strange um, is that uh, it became more vital a story the closer we, the, the sort of more entrenched we got in the Trump years and um, and a little bit more frightening um, and the sort of cautionary tale aspect of it um, was even more vital uh, as a result of what happened during that election and everything since mm -hmm. continuing to this day. Jason, as you were thinking about the music for this show, how did the time, how did the 90s shape the sound that you wanted, shape the way you wanted the, the songs to be sung and delivered? You know, it's interesting when you were uh, summarizing the play at the beginning of this segment, you were talking about it and I was like, this is a musical? And I think that that, uh, that 
that never occurred to me <laughs> when Daisy pitched the idea to me. I immediately thought, oh, yeah, I know what the, the music is. Uh, and I think whenever I start to write a musical, what I most need to know is like, what's the milieu? What's the world? How does it sound? And this milieu felt very, uh, it felt very obvious to me in terms of I knew what this show should sound like. You know, I was around in the 90s uh, in New York City in my early 20s. And so there's something about that kind of knitting factory, uh, acid jazz, late era CBGB thing mm -hmm. that I, that's not my wheelhouse as a composer, but that stuff all uh, felt like it filtered in to the way I was writing. And for me, most significantly, I went directly to Steve Reich. I went to uh, a, sort of what I think of as that sort of New York City propulsive minimalism mm -hmm. uh, and to try and figure out how to integrate that with the rest of the sound, not only of this world, but of these characters who there are characters of many different ages in the show. And so they all translate the sounds around them into very different musics. And that to me is, uh, that's one of the great joys of writing musicals is to figure out what each character is gonna sound like and what world they live in. You talked about Muriel, the mm -hmm. fact checker, who uh, contrary to the way uh, when Ben uh, as Ethan is singing, much of that is a pretty straight ahead rock uh, mm -hmm. stuff. Uh, and then when Muriel sings, it's the harmonies are Schumann. Uh, and that was yeah. very much sort of the way that she, uh, she navigates her sound world. So Ben, you've played a liar before in a musical in Dear Evan Hansen. Um, mm -hmm. In your mind, has Ethan ever lied in his writing before he gets the connector? Or was it something about the connector and something about his ambition that caused him to cross the line? You know, this is something that we've talked about in the in the rehearsal room um, uh, with Daisy. And uh, there's, you know, a moment not to give too much away, but um, Ethan has a brother who appears um, in in the story mm -hmm. um, that he he reaches out to when he's in a heightened moment of of need. And um, we've talked about how I think that Ethan has um, need to needed to reach out to his brother um, on multiple occasions, um, whether that be. It, it, for exactly this uh, type of of situation mm -hmm. or um, something else, um, I think Ethan has uh, uh, gotten himself in trouble before. Um, mm. I don't know if it's been to this extent. Um, I think that um, the pressure that's placed on Ethan at the beginning from Conrad. Um, you know, he he's I think Ethan is really feeling the pressures of making this newspaper succeed in a time when um, uh, magazines and newspapers really were on the decline. And I felt like that was his impetus to just go, go, go. Um, and, and sort of the culture of the 90s at that point, it sort of carries over from the 80s, the sort mm -hmm. of like buy, 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 sell, sell, sell mentality. It, it was alive in the in the journalism world as well. Um, so. Uh, you know, I, sure, Ethan may have fibbed a bit in some of his pieces in the Princetonian, but I think never to this extent. And it's because of this um, pressure and this almost God complex that he has when he gets away with it the first time. 
We're talking about The Connector at MCC Theater on West 52nd. It is up through March 17th. My guests are Ben Levi Ross, the actor, Daisy Prince, the director, and Jason Robert Brown, who composed the show. So the set is by Beowulf Borat. Gorgeous. Hi, Beowulf, you're listening. Um, really exciting. <laughs> and, it, uh, you know, it's it's very vibrant and won't give anything away. Uh, but it, obviously the set sort of... Uh, the story bleeds off the sides of the set. There's papers and magazines stacked high off the main stage, and you have your actors, Daisy, sitting, and they're often in sight. Um, why did you want the cast to be partially visible, and what is your job as a director to those actors when there's so much going on center stage? Well, I think I think the biggest thing I could give to them was a sense that of purpose when they're sitting there. They're not there to be observers necessarily of everything going on on stage. That felt important for me to tell them. Um, and also, the fact is we're creating a story. So anytime we can po- sort of point the arrows to the fact that we are storytelling and that we're all mm-hmm. sort of embedded in the same story together um, and that we will begin the story at the same time uh, and end the story at the same time, um, that felt important to me. And in the, in the same way that, that there are periods when we can see the band mm-hmm. um, on stage, um, it feels important constantly for us to be acknowledging uh, our own storytelling and um, the role that that plays in sort of crafting this piece. Um, so that that was it. And also to have sort of this, uh, this wonderful metaphor of like the the rest of what a real office would look like in our story, the office is painted very abstractly, but um, the, the, the banker's boxes and pages Mm -hmm. and piles of things that bury people um, not only represent everything that happens in the workplace, but also um, very much a reminiscent of the end of things. um, And um, also the way in which we get swallowed up by the stories we create by the office's, we live in by the lives that are not necessarily the lives of our creation, but the lives that are thrust upon us by our workplace, the reality of our workplace. So it's, it's a lot there, but, um, and to them, uh, I gave them all something that they should, that they could do that they could work with. Um, so what do you do in the workplace when you're in the break room? Mm -hmm. What do you do? What piece of your personal life? Because we don't talk a lot about personal lives in the show, actually. Um, and so what do you do in your private time uh, when you have a minute to do something that defines yourself in the workplace? Mm-hmm. And so we talked a lot about that and everybody sort of chose something, um, whether it be a book they wanted to read, whether it be a hobby they had, whether what they'd be doing is sitting, working, still working, but uh, with a cocktail in hand, whatever. We sort of went through all of those decisions. What, where is that private person in that public place? Jason, a lot of the big numbers in the show are dramatizations of Ethan's stories that he's written. What was interesting to you about turning articles into musical numbers? I think uh, when I started working on the piece with Daisy, my initial impression was that the only songs in the show were going to be Ethan's stories. Uh, And uh, there was a show in the 40s called Lady in the Dark. And uh, the only things that happened in that show, the only musical numbers were dream sequences. And I thought, oh, we'll do something like that. And then the interior lives of the characters just became very musical to me. And I thought, no, I really want to hear them sing. But jumping into uh, Ethan's stories as the production numbers felt like 
that's when the showbiz comes out. You know, I think musicals have a certain obligation uh, at a certain point to to acknowledge the showbiz. Musicals are this big declamatory art form. And when do you get to satisfy that? Um, and this was a wonderful opportunity because Ethan is a showboat. Ethan is, you know, he's a, he likes to show off and he likes to entertain. And that's mm-hmm. part of his, his enormous gift. You know, he is for all of the things we will say negatively about Ethan, he's an enormously gifted writer. And so it was fun for me to go back to how I wrote when I was 23 years old and think, what are all the tricks that I used to throw just to say, look, I can do all of it. You know, my instinct now as a writer is not to sort of throw all my cards on the table all the time because, uh, you know, as you get older, you don't have as many cards, but you don't know that when you're 23. And so Mm -hmm. you just, so I needed them to be sort of, um, uh, I would say they needed to be kind of extremely brilliant with a lot of quotation marks around both of those words. And so it was pastiche, but it needed to feel as sort of authentic and uh, funky as it could. And I needed it to really like speak to the worlds that Ethan was trying to to bring to life. It was a challenge, but it was really mm-hmm. fun. I mean, you know, the, the whole show was a lot of fun to write, but those numbers definitely uh, had to put my brain in a different place. Then at one point, Robin, who's the copywriter, who's who Ethan leapfrogs over and becomes the sort of the star young player in the office. Um, Robin's like, hey, you were born on third base uh, mm-hmm. and you think you hit a triple. Does Ethan think this? No, my God, no. I mean, I, I think that uh, <laughs> in fact, like as we as we've continued to mm-hmm. things change really every night, um, weekly, um, I'm discovering more because um, we're doing this show eight times a week and that's how you keep it alive. And I think something happened like early in the process where I actually heard her say that for the first time, like really heard her say that. And um, I was like, oh, uh I'm going to give you a moment to apologize actually for what you said. I think that like, that was mm-hmm. like, and that kind of took me by surprise that, um, that came out of my Ethan brain. Um, and, uh, and yeah, and I think that that really is, um, Ethan's reaction. Um, I worked just as hard as you. And in fact, I'm younger than you and I'm getting my stuff done in a way that you can't. And so, uh, you know, the, the sort of, um, Listen, I have to empathize with this person. Right. To I'm not saying that this is right. I'm not saying that this is acceptable behavior. Um, but uh, that's the only way the show works mm-hmm. is for me to um, to completely empathize with with his. You know, it's neuroses really. At the end of the day, mm-hmm. it's, it's um, it, he, yeah, he's he's neurotic and he's pompous and um but he's very driven and so i think when someone like that is met with someone telling me that uh i was born on third base and that all of these things were handed to me it's like god i don't know what to tell you hun mm-hmm. but that's just not the truth i mean it is it is you it's a fact like, but it's not the truth as they say <laughs> exactly in the <laughs> <Action>. <laughs> so daisy i i remember from school that you're a great singer and a great ah. performer. Uh, so what, how does your having been a performer help you as a director? 
Well, I think I have tremendous, um, I, I think what I try to do is figure out the things that I needed when I was a performer that sometimes I got and sometimes I didn't. Um, the first thing being a room that's harmonious mm. and peaceful and um, joyful. Uh, and um, and so I try to create that kind of work environment. Um an environment where I say when I think I messed up or I did something wrong um, because I don't recall hearing a tremendous amount of that. Um, also a world that is unabashedly female, uh, female driven because, um, and I don't feel the urge. I feel that while the direction of the show is, uh, is unapologetically muscular, the way that this was sort of, for lack of a better word, but the way that we sort of put this together and how, uh, and how we worked on it, um, is not just from sort of the abstract visual metaphor, tell the story, let's all do all of, let's work toward this singular goal as authors and creators, but also rich, detailed performances. And that's really what I love to do. So I think that's that's been most helpful to me is sort of trying to create a nice balance between um, the sort of, you know, the larger picture and um, the performances of the actors. Because I do love uh, actors and I'm so impressed by what everyone can do. And the skill sets now are just crazy. And we have a cast of people uh, we have a dream cast. So, you know, I wanted to honor everybody's contribution um, mm -hmm. because they are all vital. The Connector is at the MCC Theater on West 52nd through March 17th. I've been speaking with composer Jason Robert Brown, director Daisy Prince, and actor Ben Levi Ross. Thanks for spending time with us. Thank you so much, Allison. Thanks, Allison. Thank you so much. Coming up, we'll celebrate the immigrant history of American traditional music with the group American Patchwork Quartet. They'll join us with some, with some exclusive performances and a song for our 2024 public song project. That's happening right after the news. <laughs> 